I'm Alex Mosed. Welcome to Winner Take All. Today is Tuesday, last day in March, end of Q1. And oh boy, has it been an interesting Q1. And on this show, Winner Take All, we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. What we love about the show, and everyone's, many people are working from home and sheltering in place, is um, for people to leave comments, ask questions. Uh, tweet at me, leave comments on YouTube. You know, we want to try and answer everyone's questions and thoughts on the show and, and keep the material coming out to everyone in a, in a timely manner. Um, one of the topics that we talk a lot about are, are, are what are large tech monopolies doing and, and how are they going to fare through these difficult times? And so one of the tech monopolies platform stocks, not not public stock, but platforms that we thought was going to go public in 2020 was Airbnb. Spoken about Airbnb in the past on the show. Uh, and this article here says that Airbnb is halting all marketing, uh, a lot of hiring, or they're, they're pausing their hiring. Apparently, they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars uh, because of, well, you know, everyone, no one's traveling, everyone's canceling all their trips. On the last show, we were talking about how Airbnb's producers, their homeowners, are now switching to other platforms that can provide longer-term rentals, as opposed to just the short-term rental market, which is which is what Airbnb had come to dominate. Airbnb really hadn't made that move over into platform conglomerate status, where they had multiple different platform businesses like Uber has, and we've seen how Uber Eats has now, you know, really helped Uber manage at least some of the offset some of the pain that they're seeing in the ride-sharing business. Every day, there's another email here in my inbox that just talks about tech startups that are just getting hammered. Scooter rental startup Bird laid off 30% of its workforce. Um, Get Around is laying off 100 employees. Notel is laying off and furloughing 200 people. I think Sonder is laying off 30% of its staff. Lyric is laying off staff. Uh, you can see all the different travel hospitality companies really coming under pressure. Different real estate companies here um, coming under pressure. And and more, right? There's another interesting site, which uh, kind of a self-contributed list of who's freezing hiring, who's 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 continuing to hire, who's not hiring anymore. And so this is interesting to see, especially I think if if you are uh, personally running into troubled times at a tech startup as an employee, and you're not really sure about what the future holds, um, Applico's hiring, but there's also a number of other firms that are hiring out there. Uh, this is a good list that, that highlights some of those that are, even though you may not know, right? Because some companies may have job listings that are up, but you don't really know um, if the companies are are actively um, still recruiting for those job roles, even though the, the job listing might be up and, and have been posted. Uh, and that's also what some of this list is getting at, is whether or not these um, these firms are actually continuing to hire, even though they have you know, job listings up. You know, it's going to be a tough time. I think beyond even just the the tech startup world, you know, other industries that um, that rely on the tech startup world, like say the banking world, right? Um, the amount of deals that if you're at an investment bank are going to be done between now and the next number of months is probably going to be pretty low. So you're going to see a lot of changes here uh, in in these worlds now. Who is not hurting as badly as tech startups are large traditional enterprises. And that's something that uh, we 
and myself at Applico have a lot of experiences understanding how to straddle both of these worlds, large traditional enterprises and the tech startups. And fortunately for the traditional enterprises, they are going through hardship right now, but they are nowhere near to the amount of hardship that tech startups are experiencing. So, you know, my my one thought if, you know, if I'm talking to a head of a tech startup, founder of a tech startup is VCs are reassessing strategy right now. And that's going to be tough until I think we see the VC activity pick up, right? Every day I'm seeing more stories about VCs reassessing strategy. Just another name for the VCs aren't investing. Uh, They want to wait till the dust settles and they can kind of see what the multiples are at again and and where valuations fall. But there are incumbents, there are traditional enterprises that do have healthy balance sheets. They do still have leadership that are looking at the mid to long term, and they're not forgetting about what those mid to long term strategic priorities are. And there are CEOs and executives at these traditional incumbents that, yes, their core business is undergoing a lot of pain, but I think they would be very open to a discussion if a tech startup is 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 in dire straits and really needs some help, some capital, um, a strategic partner in this time of need. There are those firms out there, uh, and 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 there are some ones with the right leadership that I think would be looking to say, how could I accelerate something, uh, and 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 fi- and get creative to help what is a promising tech startup uh, from having to go through really kind of irreversible damage that they that they might have to take in order to survive, or they might not even be able to make it through at all. So there are some other options out there besides obviously things that are going through from Congress and and these different relief bills. Um, but for many tech startups, not only do you need the relief bills, um, you know, as a lifeline, but you also, I mean, you were already losing money. And so now your growth has fallen off and your fundraising poss- uh, possibilities have fallen off. So it's really a double whammy. It's a very tough time for a lot of tech startups, unfortunately. Okay, well, let's look, let's take a, like a mid to, to, I'd say no, a midterm look at things, right? We look at the stocks, the platform stocks in, in Plat. I'd say there's, there are a number of um, good deals on the table. So um, I'm sure everyone probably saw Bill Ackman who shorted the market, made a bunch of money and then said, and then went on the news, bragged about it. And then said he's buying back into the market. And then, and now people are kind of questioning some of his motives for that. And he said he had sold all of his shorts, but it doesn't seem like he had really sold all of his shorts by the time he went on TV. Um, so anyway, that aside, there are, are a few interesting platform stocks that really stick out to me. Um, one is Facebook. So if you, you know, Facebook is going to have some, Short-term damage here. Twitter estimates are around revenue dipping of around 20%. A lot of small businesses can't continue to advertise on content platforms. Facebook also has a material amount of its business coming from um, small businesses for ads. We've seen them now launch a, a grant program, not only for small businesses on advertising, they also just launched another grant program for uh, media and publications, newspapers. To give them free ads and and other financial support, but where where Facebook peaked, you know, before all of this was right around two hundred twenty bucks a share. This is in February, right? So currently, Facebook is at is at about a buck sixty six, 
So, you know, I, if, if it was to go back to where it was, that's about a 40% gain or so from, from where it is today. I don't think we're at the bottom of the market. I still think until we see um, cases peak in the United States, which maybe we're a week or two, hopefully, hopefully closer to a week, but we still could be one or two, possibly three weeks away from seeing the peak, that you will really start to see um, the bottom from, from a stock standpoint. But even at a buck sixty six on Facebook, if you presume that it can get back to normal or somewhat close to normal, um, this is a very strong balance sheet company. This company has no question about can it make it through? Is it going to have to sacrifice parts of its business in the short term um, that could have long-term damage? It doesn't need to make any of these tough trade-offs that some of the smaller platform stocks that are in the single-digit billion dollars might actually be looking at asset sales and certain things that they would not want to do if it weren't for you know the the current pandemic and, and state of state of the environment. So Facebook doesn't need to make any of those trade-offs. This is purely a short-term uh, dip from small businesses. Now, the question is, how quickly will small businesses be able to um, come back and advertise on Facebook and 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 boost that revenue back up for Facebook? But still, even when you're going to run those numbers and you and you you look at the discount that Facebook is at today compared to where it was six weeks ago. I think there's plenty of upward room there uh, for Facebook to come back and come back in a very strong way. So Facebook is is a very attractive uh, stock for me right now. Uh, If you look at a Microsoft, you look at an Apple, you look at an Amazon, we're going to talk more about Amazon in a second, but those, those stocks really are not too far away from their highs in February. They have come down maybe 10, 15%. Facebook has come down much more which makes sense because it has advertising revenue that's more susceptible to being at stake or taking a hit during a crisis like this, one would argue. But still, uh, um, you know, I think there's relatively more growth opportunity in that midterm bounce back period for a Facebook versus a Microsoft, Apple, and an Amazon. I'm going to touch on Amazon. Well, let me take that back. Certainly Microsoft and Apple. And talk about Amazon in a second here uh, as well. Now, the other stock is let's look at Booking. Booking is also in Plat. They are currently at about thirteen fifty, and in Feb, Jan Feb, they were around you know two thousand fifty, right around two thousand. So you know if you're going from two thousand down to thirteen fifty, again, that's a significant haircut, right? Now it's travel. Okay, this isn't Facebook small business advertisers leaving. It's travel. So that makes sense. But again, if you compare, so we're going to compare booking to the hotel industry, but booking, platform conglomerate, multiple different platform businesses, a very strong balance sheet, $55 billion market cap. This is after roughly a 40% haircut in the past six months. Compare that to Expedia, the smaller sibling at about $8 billion market cap. And you look at where they were in February here, um, $121 a share. Now it's down at $56 a share. This is a more than 50% haircut. I think Expedia is going to have a much tougher time bouncing back and being able to scale and really take advantage of the opportunities that we're seeing, right? When I'm talking about tech startups hurting, that creates opportunities for large incumbents and it creates opportunities for the large 
tech monopolies, right? So um, that means there's opportunities twofold. One, to buy tech startups that are in a difficult financial position, A, and B, the large tech monopolies can scale growth more aggressively because the competition is less, right? That they can put forward more aggressive pricing or campaigns or user acquisition campaigns because the tech startups don't have the ability to compete at the same footing that they did just six weeks ago. So you're going to be able to see the larger tech platform monopolies have very strong, healthy balance sheets. I've spoken about this a few weeks ago uh, when I was talking about Ray Dalio's article, which was saying something similar. It wasn't platform specific, but what Ray Dalio was saying was the companies that have strong balance sheets that have a very low debt to EBITDA ratio. Um, other research has said, you know, you really want to have less than a three to one ratio on that respect, right? So uh, less than three times your EBITDA in debt. That was in the 0809 crash. The companies that had less than that ratio uh, were performed very well from a kind of stock fundamental standpoint. That said, if you take a step back, just companies with stronger balance sheets, they don't need to make rash decisions to save the business in the short term. They can be prudent and, and hold back on spending and be fiscally responsible, but they don't need to make short-term decisions that hurt them long-term, unlike smaller competitors. Again, when I look at booking, when I look at travel and hospitality starting to come back, I see a lot of upward potential there for booking compared to, say, an Expedia or smaller other travel uh, platform stocks like a Yelp like a TripAdvisor, right? Both of those are single-digit, multi-billion-dollar uh, market-cap platform stocks. All in plat, but again, relatively, I'm going to look for those healthier platform stocks, bigger platform conglomerate stocks that can bounce back, that have taken that are that are pretty far off of where they were just six weeks ago, and have a lot of room to bounce back. Now, let's take a, a deeper look into booking. So we've kind of looked at booking versus Marriott here in the hotel industry at large. So this is the past month of stock performance ending March 20th. So Marriott is the orange. That's the line that goes down the most. Uh, yellow is QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, and booking is the blue. So the second worst line here, right? It makes sense, right? The other two lines are the QQQ, NASDAQ 100, and S&P 500. These are both travel hospitality companies. Of course, they're going to dip more than, than the average index. This is interesting in the sense of on the right side, you see their 10-year compounded annual growth rate, booking at 17.1%, Marriott at 9.7%. Um, and you can see against S&P and QQQ. If you look at the... Um, Stock returns over the past 10 years, that's on this side here. That's this yellow bar is the 10-year stock performance. Orange is three. Blue is uh, one year. Gray is five years. Sorry for bouncing around. But anyway, this is again through March 20th of 2020. You can see booking now taking that huge hit down at thir now at about 1350 um, off of roughly 2,000 six weeks ago. Net-net over the past five years, their stock is basically not changed. Pretty interesting, right? Um, Marriott's actually down 11% as compared to five years ago. So let's dig into why. 
Now, this is interesting because Marriott, if you think about it, Marriott isn't a platform, but they are platformy in the sense that Marriott doesn't own the hotels. That inventory doesn't sit on the Marriott balance sheet. What Marriott has is brands, and then they have uh, service contracts to manage those hotels. So there are franchise owners that invest, and they actually own the property of the hotel. And then Marriott is the operating entity that earns a percent of revenue, a management fee, and then they operate the hotel. They have the membership program to help bring demand. And they have, you know, they make sure that the hotel's operated up to the brand profile, right? Marriott has over 30 different brands in the Marriott portfolio. Platform E, asset light, let's call it, but not a platform. You can see similar aspects where you kind of have uh, uh, hotel owners as like pseudo producers. And then you obviously have, you know, uh, hotel travelers and, and, and customers. So let's compare these two. Marriott actually has a higher EBITDA margin, that's the orange line here, than booking in 2019 at 46% compared to booking at 38%. Now, what is interesting is the variability in Marriott's EBITDA margin, which you can see peaked at 59% in 2017 and came down somewhat drastically the past years. Booking's EBITDA margin stays pretty constant. And in 2019, they more than doubled the amount of actual EBITDA. Um, that uh, that Marriott had. So despite booking having a lower margin, they're still posting uh, double um, almost every year the amount of EBITDA than Marriott. Comparing that to the revenue here, booking you can see here at $96 billion in, in GMV, not revenue, GMV, uh, compared to Marriott GMV. So we're saying you know the total stays at all their different brands um, at $57 billion. Then what that translates into revenue is um, 15 billion in revenue for booking versus you know 5.5 billion dollars in revenue for Marriott, which is pretty interesting, right? So booking doesn't have 3x the amount of GMV that Marriott does, but they have 3x the revenue. Booking has not even 2x the amount of GMV that Marriott has, but it has 3x the revenue. And that comes down to this slide, which is looking at monetization rates. So you can see, you know, roughly what, what bookings take rate is as compared to Marriott booking take rate in the blue, Marriott take rate in the gray. Um, but this doesn't solely account for it because you can see, you know, if you just take 10, 10.5% of bookings, $96 billion in GMV, how does booking have $15 billion in revenue? So this is also where you have platforms that are that you know are hybrid, where they have linear activities and they have platform activities, right? So you have GMV and take rate platform activity, and then what are you doing as a linear to 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 either buy or resell inventory or other activities to try and make that revenue pool larger overall? Can you generate linear revenue and get it valued at a platform multiple? That's the holy grail, right? And that's what we see Amazon do all the time with them doing white label products or being a reseller of many products on Amazon. So a uh, couple other stats here to look at, you know, comparing kind of booking and uh, booking and Marriott. So if we look at the 
EV to GMV multiple. So enterprise value to GMV multiple, it's about 0.94x. If we look at the EV to revenue multiple, it's 6x, right? And I'm going to compare these to Marriott in a second. EV to EBITDA multiple is 15.7x. Who do you think is going to be higher? Marriott multiples or booking multiples? You would think that it should be booking multiples, right? They're the platform. Platforms are supposed to command higher multiples. That's, that's what everyone knows, right? Isn't that, that's the name of the game. This is actually higher for Marriott. System-wide sales is what they call it. That's kind of their equivalent of GMV. 1.08x, booking had 0.95x of uh, GMV, EV to GMV multiple. What about revenue? 11.48x revenue. Booking was at six. This is almost double. Let's look at EV to EBITDA. 25. Booking was at 15. I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. What would you rather own, Booking or Marriott? Even take away the whole situation where I think the booking stock is is at a is at a very attractive discount right now because of coronavirus. Even take that away. What am I going to choose, booking or Marriott? It's obviously going to be booking. I mean, it is astounding to me to see that that actually when you compare apples to apples here, kind of system wide sales as a as a um, close uh, similar number to what GMV would be for platforms, you have you still have Marriott. Uh, with higher multiples. So let's look at Marriott's stock. Marriott, 75 bucks right now. Six months ago. Was that 150 bucks? Okay, it got cut in half. I think it, it bottomed out at 63 bucks. Which one do you think is going to come back faster? Right? Which one do you think is going to regain share faster? To me, it's no question. It's going to be booking. You know, the platforms should be able to weather the storm better. Comparatively, we're seeing that. We're seeing booking stock weather the storm better, have less of a dip during the down cycle. These are both somewhat asset light businesses in that sense, right? So Marriott doesn't have all these leases uh, or, you know, they don't own the, the underlying assets of these hotels, it's not on their balance sheet. So it's, it's somewhat asset light in that regard. Yet still, the platform has that winner-take-all dynamic. And Marriott has a lot more competition than Booking does, right? Platforms have a winner-take-all dynamic, name of the show. And there's only room for one or two dominant winners. And so the other th dynamic that I think we're going to see, which touches on my first topic here on Airbnb, I think we're going to see both Booking and Expedia Give Airbnb a run for its money because now the renters, the homeowners that were doing short-term rentals on Airbnb have moved over to the Expedia and Booking.coms of the world to, to have longer-term rentals. And you can bet that Booking and Expedia are going to try and, um, I, I would say, launch very aggressive short-term rental businesses coming out of the coronavirus pandemic. 
and and try to make a very sticky proposition for those renters, for those homeowners, those producers to stick around uh, and not go back to Airbnb. So I think that's that's a very likely scenario. I think that'll be very interesting to see. Okay, really great analysis on that. Uh, the team really did a good job helping put that all together. So next one. Basically, the company that is impenetrable, aka Amazon. Literally, I mean, it, it is very hard to to slow this company down. Uh, you'd think that you know that whatever the next catastrophe that's that sinks the stock market would slow down Amazon. Nope, not at all. Actually, in India, they have been shut down, but that is actually so. The interesting thing with India is uh, maybe a couple of years ago when when Walmart bought Flipkart and Amazon and you have Amazon and Walmart in India, the Indian government's very smart here. We've spoken about how China has used tech protectionism to its advantage um, to nurture its own tech, com- tech community, tech ecosystem quite successfully. India has been learning from that playbook. And so India said, if there are any foreign-owned marketplace businesses in India, you cannot be a hybrid business. Just as I was saying, the best platforms are a hybrid, where Amazon is both being a platform marketplace with third-party inventory and they're being a linear reseller. They do both. That's the holy grail of, of every platform business, uh, I would say, or many of them. India did not allow that if you are a foreign-owned marketplace business. Only if you are a locally-owned native Indian uh, tech startup marketplace could you do both activities. So Amazon had to shift to be purely marketplace. These numbers here are the number of active sellers on Amazon India. You see hovering around 200,000 sellers and then cratering down to basically nothing as of the past few days. So Amazon India is on lockdown. Now, when you dig deeper into why this happened, you would say, oh, well, India instituted a three-week lockdown and Amazon was only Amazon India said we're only going to ship essential items just as they've done elsewhere in the world. So you would, you would say, well, I don't know, then why would their sellers shrink down to nothing? And basically the reason there is most of Amazon's 60 plus fulfillment centers in India were shut with the company still in talks with state authorities to swiftly reopen warehouses. So it's actually the Indian government that has shuttered these warehouses and fulfillment centers, which is kind of peculiar um, because Walmart has done the same thing. So, you know, I, I, um, I don't think they're treating the, again, the native uh, Indian marketplaces the same or Indian retailers the same as they are these foreign owned marketplace businesses, which you know, which doesn't really make sense to me right now because you would think that you just would need all the help you can to fulfill the demand. I know certainly in the United States, you're just seeing tons of essential items still be out of stock and, and hard for, for many people to get access to. Uh, so you would think that you'd still want the supply chain to be moving. And, and these companies already said they want to focus only on essential items. So it's kind of bizarre why they are shutting down the foreign-owned marketplace businesses uh, during the the state of affairs and the lockdown where you do need that e-commerce. You can't leave your house. You need the delivery. So that's that's kind of bizarre to me. Um, 
hopefully they get opened up because it's you're also now disadvantaging all the sellers, the 200,000 sellers on Amazon India that have built businesses around that. What are they going to do? There's already a lot of change. And we've documented this for sellers on Amazon who can't sell um, non-essential items anymore. They need to shift their whole business to try and sell essential items. We've seen layoffs amongst the third-party seller communities simply because of that shift from non-essential to only essential products. I'm going to come back to essential products, uh, which is very interesting. Another article here talks about how Amazon's retail power could grow during the pandemic. And that this is a historical figure of looking at the percent of total U.S. e-commerce sales that Amazon controls, uh, nearing 40% in 2020 was the projected estimate. The total percent of total U.S. retail sales that, that Amazon would command this year is supposed to be about 5%. So the interesting thing is how much more behavior change are we going to get due to being shelter in place and having to order everything online. And I think you're going to get a lot. I think when we look at the growth curve of e-commerce in the United States, um, where it's still, I think, under 15% of the total U.S. retail is e-commerce. It's still a relatively small pool. Again, Walmart's doing over $500 billion in sales. They're doing less than $50 billion in uh, e-commerce. So you still have such a huge part of the retail industry physical. And I think you're going to see a huge behavior change. For, For example, just ordering groceries online. That was one of the biggest drivers of Walmart's e-commerce growth. Was, wasn't even because of the marketplace, which helped. But it was enabling their grocery business to order online and pick up in store before all the coronavirus stuff. We've seen grocery, online grocery, be one of the biggest drivers of Walmart's e-commerce gains. So I think you're going to see a, a lasting impact of the changing consumer behavior to embrace digital and e-commerce, which is ultimately going to benefit who? Amazon. Another industry that is seeing a huge boost in e-commerce growth is the beauty industry. This article is, has the Amazon beauty reckoning finally arrived? Just a few days ago. So Sephora and all the, you know, your beauty stores have closed. Now, what's interesting in this article is they say that um, Amazon's new shipping restrictions, Amazon's only shipping essential items, right? Essential. Food medical supplies, toilet paper. Everyone's going bonkers over toilet paper. You know what else is essential, according to Amazon? Beauty products and personal care products are now essential. Even though you're locked up inside of your home and you're not supposed to be leaving or really seeing anyone other than family and whoever else is in your house, beauty and personal care products are essential. And so uh, this has been an area that Amazon was starting to penetrate going into the coronavirus pandemic. And I think now you're going to see an even uh, greater accelerant of, again, uh, e-commerce behavior change to be friendly towards buying beauty products online, where you, you, you know, maybe if you wanted to try it on in the store or things like that, you're just going to start to see uh, that shift more and more to, to Amazon and, and to digital. So as long as you shift to digital, 
Amazon's going to obviously take uh, a share of that. You have different examples of companies on here basically providing testament to to that trend. Um, also, what Amazon is doing is they're suspending four. They've suspended over uh, four thousand seller accounts for price gouging, and so these are uh, basically products that are out of stock, essential products that are out of stock on Amazon and sellers are setting prices. Again, normally in a normal operating environment with the marketplace, every all the sellers are competing against each other for the buy box and naturally whoever puts up the best price in the buy box gets the buy box and, and they get the sale. When you have an environment where that, that supply is constrained and there isn't a fluid supply chain and products are going out of stock, you're seeing some sellers here abuse that and jack up prices uh, on these different essential products. So they've said that um, they've found these accounts that have violated that and have suspended those accounts or taking advantage of you know what you would call price gouging. So very interesting mechanism to try and police that, right? And with with the um, AI and algorithms that that Amazon has, probably pretty easy for them to spot that. And spot where, you know, here are the normal prices and now we're deviating from the norm. Uh, this is also really interesting. So I've, I've spoken on the show about how the Lyft and Uber stock prices have basically mimicked, mimicked each other, despite those businesses being very different. Uber having this thing called Uber Eats and other businesses and Lyft only having this thing called ride sharing. Yet the stock prices have pretty much tracked each other almost identically. Which makes no sense to me, but that aside, you're seeing Lyft here tell their drivers to go work for Amazon because they don't have any business, right? Lyft doesn't have anything for these drivers to do. Uh, so they're saying, hey, go help Amazon. You know, Amazon has their flex program to deliver packages and, uh, you know, they're basically saying here, go, you know, they have a partner, a partnership with Amazon to go and... <laughs> bring all their producers over to Amazon. I mean, it's not good, right? Um, I mean, the Lyft business is in deep trouble. They don't really have anything going on right now. Yikes. I mean, at least Uber has, and that, that's, what, that's what this article says here, right? At partly offset shortfall with its restaurant delivery business, which is seeing a huge uptick. We covered that on the show uh, last week. They saw a 10% spike on a 10 plus billion dollar business in one week. I mean, those are big numbers. So at least Uber can now shuffle and can have their producers, their drivers, give them other work and try to load balance some of this, right? Rather than say, hey, go work for the other giant tech monopoly. You know how much harder it is to now get those people back to come work on Lyft? Again, every one of these large tech monopolies that are gaining these different um, kind of like on-demand producer um, labor sources, whether it's the homeowners going to Booking or Expedia or Lyft drivers going to Amazon, the tech monopolies are not going to want to give these people back or these homeowners back to the tech startup in, in a Lyft or in an Airbnb. So they're going to be trying to hold on to these people and I think maybe move on t- into the turf of, of some of these smaller uh, platform companies as, as the coronavirus uh, pandemic starts to wear down and we start to make more progress against it. So that's not good news. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm very weary about how Lyft is faring during this time, 
particularly as compared to Uber. Another example of this that we're seeing in the startup world is, I thought this was pretty interesting. So this is Age's largest companies try to sell down stakes in startups. What makes no sense about this, no sense, super confusing to me is, it says corporate venture capital funds offer Gojek and DD to secondary market investors. They're offering up these shares. On last week's show, we just covered how uh, Gojek had a massive billion-dollar round of financing. And then this article is saying that the corporate VC arms, from these more traditional companies, they want cash. They're offering to sell their stakes in Gojek at huge discounts. So that just seems so bizarre where you have Gojek raising this money, but then these investors also trying to go to the secondary market to, uh, to sell that. Uh, it, it just, it, it seems very peculiar again with the timing of all of this, where you say, well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't the investors that were investing in Gojek or in Grab snatch up those shares instead of, putting money directly into the business and selling it at, at the rate that the business was selling it at, presumably, which is going to be at a higher share price than whatever these investors are trying to sell it for on the secondary market. Now, yes, Gojek won't receive that capital, won't be going into the business or not issuing new shares if, if those investors are buying shares off the secondary market. But it is a very bizarre thing to see where you would think that what we saw, for example, what we saw with Uber when SoftBank went into Uber is they did a deal where they were buying shares off of the secondary market to bring some liquidity to the secondary market, and then they were putting some money into Uber itself. And so the the you know the 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 people running Uber at that time, I don't know maybe it was Travis. Forget who. Maybe it was Travis still running it at that time. But you're you're trying to balance the secondary market with what the business is trying to raise cash wise. So maybe Gojek and these companies, you know, they were just really starving for cash. They really wanted all the cash to go to them, and they didn't actually take care of any of the secondary market activity and just kind of let these investors out to dry. I don't know the ins and outs of this, but it's just very bizarre and the timing of it for these things to go back to back like this. Literally, the fundraising is just announced a week or two ago. And now you see articles about secondary market in, uh, investors selling, taking huge discounts on on the shares to to get liquidity. Very peculiar. It just speaks to how these large tech monopolies again are gonna are going to be able to outperform during these periods of uncertainty where capital is restricted and they have very strong balance sheets and they can flex their muscle. So, um, yeah, a lot of interesting. Threats, but also a lot of interesting opportunities during these times. Um, more to come. Stay safe, everyone. We're, we're not at the peak yet. I still think we're a couple of weeks away from the peak, it seems like. But hopefully we'll be at the peak soon. I think once we get to the peak, I think we're going to see a, uh, a very a drastic mindset shift and a much more optimistic tone once you are at the peak or near the peak. It's going to be a very different uh, energy and tone in the country, which I think we can all look forward to. So let's stay safe, hunker down the next couple of weeks, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us.